You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. You guys will open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. If you do not have your own copy of Scripture with you this morning, it's page 573 in the Pew Bible uh, right in front of you. 573. So as you've already heard multiple times this morning, uh, today officially begins the season of Advent, which on the Christian calendar begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas and ends on Christmas Eve. Now the word Advent itself means arrival or an appearing or, or coming into place. And as Christians, we believe in two Advents, two The first advent, which is Christ's first coming, and the second advent, which is what? Christ's second coming. So you guys can preach this message yourselves today. You're doing good. And so the season of advent is really a time of celebration and a time of anticipation. It's a time when we look back and celebrate Christ's first coming while living with great anticipation for his second coming. Now, one of the most common Advent traditions in many Christian denominations is the lighting of the Advent wreath. Interestingly enough, the Advent wreath first appeared in Germany. Everything cool appears in Germany, but this was in Germany uh, in 1839. And as the story goes, a Lutheran minister who worked at a mission for children built a wreath out of an old cartwheel. Uh, You'll see the picture on the screen. To help children count down the days until Christmas. In fact, the original Advent wreath looked a lot different than the ones that we use today. Um, As you can see, there's 24 candles instead of five. And there's 20 red candles. There were four white candles. And what would happen is the German minister would uh, light one candle per day, the red ones on the weekdays and the white ones on Sundays in the days leading up to Christmas. Now, even though the appearance of the Advent wreath has evolved through the years, it still holds a great deal of symbolism for the season. For example, the wreath itself is evergreen, symbolizing eternal life. The circular nature of the wreath symbolizes God's unending love. Some wreaths include additional decorations like holly or berries, and their red color is meant to symbolize the shedding of Christ's blood for our sins. And typically, modern Advent wreaths have five candles. Three are purple, one is pink, one is white. And the first candle represents hope or anticipation. The second candle represents faith or preparation. The third candle represents joy or celebration. Its pink color is distinguished from the other candles to help us focus on the joy of the season. And then the fourth candle represents peace or culmination. And then finally, the fifth candle is often called Christ's candle, and it represents pure lights and victory. It represents the salvation that we have through the person and work of Jesus. And so this morning, um, I'm going to be lighting the first candle, the candle, the anticipation candle. See, and all these candles are meant to to remind us of of a timeless truth in Scripture from John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, And light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so I'm going to light the first candle. I'm going to try and do it in one shot here. This is is the the click once clicker here. So let's see if it lives up to its name. Look at that. 
It's like a Bic pen, right? You know the Bic pens, they say you write the first time. I, you, can't, you, don't, you don't really don't have to clap for that. Um, there's, there's probably other things I'll say this morning that I welcome the clapping. This is unimportant, okay? Um, but anyway, again, this first candle is about anticipation. And this candle is often called the prophet's candle because it's meant to remind us of the Old Testament prophets who waited in great anticipation for the Messiah's arrival. And so in today's study, we're going to revisit the great anticipations of the prophet Isaiah. And through our study, we're going to be reminded that those who hope in Jesus will not be disappointed. Does that sound like a plan? All right, let's pray one more time, asking God's blessing on our time in his word. Heavenly Father, the familiarity of these stories, just of the Christmas season, Lord, sometimes clouds our, 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 our receiving of it or our acceptance of it, Lord, or just maybe sometimes even takes away the awe and, 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 and the joy of what it all means and how it applies to our lives. And Father God, I pray that you would help us to revisit today's timeless truths in the book of Isaiah with a refreshed and renewed perspective, God. Help us all to get a little something different out of this prophecy that talked about your coming so long ago. Lord, we ask that, that your presence would be very near to us today, that your Holy Spirit would speak through your word, that I would get out of your way, and that you'd be honored and glorified. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, when Carrie and I were expecting our first child, we worked through this book called What to Expect When You're Expecting. Any other parents used that book before? Yeah. Um, and simply put, the book presented a sequential snapshot of events to expect during a pregnancy. It even went into the postpartum period. And true to its title, the book was an invaluable resource to help us know what to expect during, or excuse me, before and during and after the baby's arrival. Well, in the same way that prophet Isaiah provided God's people, the Israelites, with a snapshot of what to expect concerning the coming of the Messiah. But before getting into the specifics of the text, it's important to understand the context. It wasn't long ago that we actually studied the book of Isaiah, so some of you guys should be very familiar with what's happening here, but let me remind you. In the book of Isaiah, we find the Israelites under God's judgment. You see, God's people chose to embrace their own rebellious ways instead of embracing God's righteous ways. They embraced the ways of darkness instead of embracing the ways of lights. They embraced paths of destruction over paths of deliverance, and as a result, God's people were actually being punished by God. At the opening of today's text, the northern kingdom of Israel, a place referred to as the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, was under conquest from Assyria, which was a neighboring enemy nation. And the people of Israel, they were experiencing a great deal of loss and grief and despair as a result of this conquest. See, to them, all hope seemed lost. They were not in a good place. However, even though God's people were under God's punishment because of their own rebellion, it was never God's intention to leave them there. You see, those who were experiencing the agony of defeat would one day experience the achievement of victory. One day, God would defeat the enemy of his people, both literally and spiritually, in the very same place where they were under siege. One day, a Messiah would come to make all things right and new. And so it's with that background, let's read Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Follow along with me. 
But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A story is told of a little girl who came home from church and she announced to her mother that Jesus was a Swede. And her mother, taken a bit back and surprised, said, oh no, dear, Jesus was Jewish. And I'll read it to you from the Bible uh, after we have lunch. However, the little girl remained persistent. She said, mommy, I can prove it to you. We sang about it in Sunday school this morning. And then the little girl proudly started singing, Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his Swede head. Church, when it comes to the person and work of Jesus, it's safe to say that some people like this little girl are a bit confused. They're confused about who he is, what he's done, what he will do, and how it all applies to us today. Well, in today's passage, the prophet Isaiah clears up some of the confusion. You see, God gave him a prophetic vision that revealed how the advent of Jesus would change the world forever. And so I've broken down today's passage into three great anticipations concerning the advent of Jesus. Let's look at the first. Number one, the ad anticipation of salvation. The anticipation of salvation. Look again at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You know, church, one of my favorite Christian, uh, Christian Christmas traditions uh, is that I enjoy every year around Christmas time is driving around with the family and looking at Christmas light displays. Anybody like to do that as well? See, every year we make an effort to drive through Nayog Park, and then we hit up the Holiday House on Music Street, um, I remember one year when the kids were, were super young, we went to the Music Street Holiday House, and we're driving down this creepy alleyway, and you see all the, the crazy, you know, Christmas things. And we're driving, and we had the door open, and this dude was dressed as Santa Claus, which is fine, right? But then he proceeds to, like, jump into our van with my little kids in the back. And to this day, they've never forgotten that. It really freaked them out. Um, but anyway, don't let that prevent you from going to Music Street. It's actually really cool. Um, we always go to check out the Time Shamrock Tower in downtown Scranton. I remember as a kid, my parents taking us there. We literally, we would, we would park on the side of the road, we'd get outside of the car, and we'd look up at the Times Tower. It looks good. And we'd get back in the van and we'd drive away. And so I still do that with my kids today. Uh, we started driving through the Festival of Lights at Stonehenge, which is awesome. Um, and of course, we have to go through the, to the Peckville Christmas House, right? And if you haven't been to the Peckville Christmas House, 
you just got to go. I mean, they were on that show, the Great Christmas Light Fight show. They actually made it on national TV. It's really cool. Now, in all of my years of following this tradition, never once, never once did we walk through or drive through during the daytime. Never once. Why? Because light shines brightest in the dark. In fact, the darker it is, the more beautiful the light displays are. You see, the presence of darkness gives you a deeper appreciation for the light, yes? Well, from a spiritual perspective, the Israelites, God's people, were walking in the depths of darkness. You see, their sin was so great and it was so severe that it had polluted an entire nation and prevented them from seeing things clearly. And left to themselves, they were on the path of destruction and death. However, God, in his great love for his people, promised, promised, I'm not going to leave you in the dark. Instead, the prophet Isaiah anticipated a day when this great light would break through the darkness. It would break through the darkness of sin. In fact, the arrival of this light was such a stark contrast to the darkness that it would cause God's people to go from unceasing pain to unspeakable joy. Look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and as they are glad when they divide the spoil. You see, Isaiah compares the joy of this great light to the joy that workers receive at the harvest. Or when an employee gets a huge payday. Or when soldiers divide the spoils of war. One commentator said it's the type of joy you see in the locker room of the Super Bowl champions right after the game. Like, just joy. And friends, when we begin to understand the implications of this great light, we have every reason to experience that same type of joy. Look at verses 4 and 5. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. What is he talking about? We're going to get to this in a second. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumults and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So what is Isaiah talking about here? Well, in the book of Judges, it tells this account of Gideon who defeated the overwhelmingly oppressive Midianites. And if you remember, at that time, God's people were enslaved, and they were outnumbered, and they were powerless to save themselves. And that's when God showed up in a very surprising way. I have it on the screen. Judges 7. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands trumpets, they were to blow, and they shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. You see, despite overwhelming odds, God's people experienced victory over the enemy. But it didn't come by human wisdom or weapons or intellect or reasoning. It came by torches and trumpets that were empowered by God. You see, in other words, when the light of the torches... And the sound of the trumpets broke through the darkness. God caused this great terror and confusion to come upon Gideon's enemies. And they destroyed themselves. Well, in the same way, Isaiah anticipated the arrival of another great light to defeat the enemy. But this great light was much more powerful than the torches from Gideon's army. 
Because this great light was going to break through Satan's seemingly unbreakable yoke of sin and death. This great light was going to expose the darkness, free the captives, and illuminate the way to salvation. And this much-anticipated great light was going to shine from a very unexpected source. Verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. There's a story told about a father who decided that Christmas was going to be different this year. He called his family together for a meeting and he challenged them to be more thoughtful during the holiday season. He challenged them to put others' needs ahead of their own, to give more than to receive, to spend more time with family, and to create a more pleasant atmosphere around their home. And he brought his speech to a crescendo with his final rallying cry when he said, let us make this the best Christmas ever! To which his youngest son said, but dad, I don't see how we could ever improve on the first Christmas. Church, he's not wrong. Because on the very first Christmas, one of the most miraculous, selfless, thoughtful events in all of human history took place. The light of the world was born into the world. God became man. Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh. Theologians call this the incarnation. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Charles Spurgeon described it this way. He said, infinite and an infant, eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty and yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, king of angels and yet the reputed son of Joseph, Joseph heir of all things, and yet a carpenter's despised son. Church, the incarnation of Christ is a vital doctrine to our faith. It's vital. Why? Because if there were no incarnation, there would be no hope for salvation. You see, the Bible teaches that all of us are sinners. All of us have broken God's law. And as a result, all of us are separated from God and we're destined to spend eternity in hell. That's our default position before the Lord. And so God, in his great love for us, sent Jesus to be born in the flesh and to fulfill God's law on our behalf. Look at Galatians 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then likewise, Scripture teaches that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And so the only way for God to overthrow the enemy of our souls and provide salvation to us, listen, was to become one of us. That's the only way it could happen. He had to take on human flesh and live a perfect life and die on the cross paying the penalty for our sins. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds power over death, that is, the devil. Church, don't miss this. God's entire plan of salvation begins with and depends on the incarnation. Now, I understand that the pinnacle of our faith is the resurrection, but that wouldn't happen that, unless there was the incarnation. John Piper said, the center of Christianity is the coming of the Son of God into the world as a real man, 
to destroy the works of the devil and create a new people for his own glory. The very heart of our faith is that he did this by obeying the law of God, dying for the sins of his people, rising victoriously over death, and ascending to God's right hand with all of his enemies under his feet. So all this to say, this church is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Without the birth of Christ, there'd be no basis for eternal life. It begins with the incarnation. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, who can add to Christmas? The perfect motive is that God loved the world. The perfect gift is that he gave his only son. The only requirement is to believe in him, and the reward of faith is that you shall have everlasting life. How about it, amen? Now, beyond just the anticipation of salvation, the prophet Isaiah also anticipated how God's people would depend on Jesus in their day-to-day lives. He anticipated how God's people would trust him and find comfort and strength in him through the good times and the bad. And so this leads us to the second great anticipation, the anticipation of consolation. The anticipation of consolation. Look at the second half of verse 6. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, church, arguably one of the most famous Christmas songs of all time is Joy to the World. In fact, we sang a version of it earlier this morning. However, what many people don't realize is that Joy to the World wasn't written as a Christmas song. It's true. In fact, when you inspect the lyrics, I'm about to ruin some of your Christmases, by the way. If (laughs) If you inspect the lyrics of Joy to the World with a theologian's eye, you will quickly learn that it has nothing to do with the incarnation. Truth be told, it's a song about Christ's second coming, not his first coming. If you don't believe me, just Google it, all right? Which, of course, begs the question, why do we sing it at Christmas time? Like, what is it about joy to the world? Why do we sing it at Christmas time? Well, here's the, here's the reality. I don't know why we sing it at Christmas time. I don't know how if we started singing this song at Christmas time. But here's what I do know. There, there is no second coming without the first coming. Amen? And since Advent is a season when we celebrate God's work in the past and we anticipate God's work in the future, I think it's totally appropriate to sing Joy to the World. Not to mention, on a super practical level, Joy to the World just has those Christmas vibes to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just one of those songs that would not play well in July, but it plays well in December, okay? Well, in the same way, this verse in Isaiah also has some Christmas vibes to it. However, what many people don't realize is that much of what's described in this verse is actually related to Christ's second coming, not his first. Nevertheless, we still cling to the truths of this verse, and we quote them often during Christmas time because they reveal the unchanging plan and character of God. So it opens up with this phrase, the government shall be upon his shoulder. And it refers to a day when the Lord Jesus will physically return to earth and establish himself as king, to rule and reign with perfect righteousness. We call this the millennial reign of Christ. The prophet Isaiah anticipated that what Christ's rule would look like through a series of names um, that reveal his character, all of which provide us with great consolation for today. So let's start looking at these names. First, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now the word used for wonderful refers to the ability to work supernatural signs. 
And the, the word used for counselor refers to the giving of wise advice. Well, when Jesus first walked the earth, he did both. And when he returns, he's going to continue to do both. And so as believers, we could find great consolation in knowing that one day Jesus will rule the world with supernatural wisdom and truth and grace. That day is coming. Second, he's called mighty God. Mighty God. You know, our world has seen its fair share of military warriors, whether it be Napoleon or Julius Caesar or Alexander the Great, all these men will be known, always be known for their strength and their power and their military skills. And so the word mighty was commonly used to describe powerful warriors. And so here in Isaiah, he, he curiously links that word with God. He tells us that Jesus possesses infinite power and that one day he's going to return to slay his enemies once and for all. So again, we can find great consolation in knowing that one day the empire of evil that rules this world will no longer stand. It's going to come trampling down. Third, he's called Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Now, now friends, depending on your upbringing, the word father can carry a sense of affection or a sense of anger. It can carry a sense of fondness or a sense of fear. It can carry a sense of security or a sense of sadness. Why? Because some of you had good fathers. Some of you had bad fathers. Some of you had absent fathers. But friends, regardless of your upbringing, God offers to be the father that you never had. He offers to always be with you through thick and thin. He offers to never leave you nor forsake you. He offers to always be mindful of your well-being. He offers to love you endlessly. And one day, he will rule the world with this fatherly type affection. Fifth, he's called the Prince of Peace. See, those who trust in Jesus and allow him to govern their lives will find great consolation in the peace that he provides. Look at John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not the type of peace that the world gives do I give to you. My peace. So let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Church, when you have Jesus, when you have Jesus, you get to enjoy the peace that comes from having eternal life. You get to enjoy the peace of his presence in your everyday life. And you get to enjoy the peace of knowing that one day he will return to make all things right and new. I mean... How many of y'all ready for the world to be right and new again? Amen? With all the things, that the horrors that we're hearing about uh, across seas, and just the, the plenty of horrors that we're experiencing in our own country, how many of you guys are ready for a day when, when there's peace on earth and, and there's no more evil reigning and there's no more corruption or injustice? Show of hands, how many of you are ready? If you're not raising your hand, we got to talk after church. Man, you're, we just got to talk after church. But this leads us to the, great, the, the third great anticipation. It's this, the anticipation of restoration. All right, so look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
Church, we are living in a day and age of great political divide. Did you know that? Did you know people are butting heads about politics these days? Maybe you didn't realize that, but it's happening. Some people want more government. Some people want less government. Some people want no government and complete anarchy. And no matter what side of the aisle you're on, here's one thing that's absolutely certain. If there is any hope for true, lasting peace on earth, it will not happen as long as man is in charge. During the millennial reign of Christ, the world will experience peace like it's never known because Jesus will be in charge. However, once this special period ends, Jesus isn't going anywhere. Isaiah anticipated that Jesus would rule and reign not just for a thousand years, but for all of eternity. The Bible teaches that after all is said and done, the world, the new heaven and new earth, will be characterized by peace, justice, and the American way. No, and righteousness forever. Peace, justice, and righteousness forever. Look at Revelation 21, 5. It says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down. When God says write it down, what do you got to do? Write it down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Listen, I know that there's a saying out there that says if it's too good to be true, then it probably is. And this statement is usually true. However, it's the furthest thing from the truth when it comes to the promises of God. In fact, every promise of God, Scripture says, is yes and amen. Today's passage closes with a simple reminder to all of us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's not might do this. It's will do this. In other words, God is deeply passionate about fulfilling his promises. He loves to fulfill his promises. And whoever he claims to be, he is. And whatever he claims to do, he's going to do. No person, place, or thing can ever frustrate his plans. If he says he's going to do something, it's a settled matter. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Church, how many of you are thankful that God always keeps his word? Say, I am. Now say it again like you mean it. Say, I am. I am. Amen. I am as well. And so as I close, as I close, I'm going to leave you with two simple points of application. It's not going to be anything too crazy today, but they're important points. As we enter into the Advent season, I want to encourage you to do two things. Celebrate and anticipate. That's it. Celebrate and anticipate. Do not let the, the, the Christmas of the world and the craziness of the world and, and the darkness of the world and the evils of the world and the, 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 the economy. And, and all, don't let that cloud your celebration of Jesus. Because yes, we're walking in darkness, right? The world is dark out there, but so were, so were God's people. But they anticipated that, that Jesus was coming. And so, so we need to celebrate and take some time to celebrate the, 
person and work of Jesus. Be purposeful about celebrating who he is and what he's done. Be purposeful about celebrating his incarnation and what it means for your salvation. And I say be purposeful because it's easy to just get lost in the hustle and bustle, isn't it? So you've got to be purposeful. And as you look back in celebration, whatever that looks like for you, you want a white lather wreath in your house? Go for it. That's going to help you celebrate. Want to bake a birthday cake and sing happy birthday to Jesus? Do that because you're looking back on what he's done. Whatever it looks like for you, just celebrate Jesus. And as you're celebrating, look forward with great anticipation because Jesus, church, look at my eyes. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, he's dealt with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. How many are eagerly waiting for Jesus? He's coming. He's coming. He's coming again. So church, those who wait in great hope and anticipation for Jesus will not be disappointed. And so let us celebrate, let us anticipate, and let us stay faithful as we await his second arrival. Amen? Now, if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then you don't have much to celebrate or anticipate. In fact, just like the Israelites, you're walking in darkness. And the situation is pretty hopeless for you right now. And I'm not saying that to beat up on you. I'm just telling you because I love you. That's just the reality of where you're at today. Maybe you've never realized it before. And if you stay on this path, listen, if you stay on this path of not having Jesus, you're going to be on the path of destruction, and it's going to lead to death. But friend, listen, that could all change right here right now today. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Friend, if you want to receive forgiveness for your sins and be assured of your salvation and receive the gift of eternal life, you could do so right now by admitting that you're a sinner, asking God to forgive you and believing in the person and work of Jesus. Trust in him and him alone to save your soul. And at the moment of belief, the moment you truly place your faith in Jesus, you will receive the gift of eternal life. In fact, you could do that right now in the quietness of your seat and be able to start your Advent season outright simply by just praying, asking God into your life. You could pray something like this, God, I know I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness and I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe that he died for my sins and that you raised him to life. And right now I trust Jesus and Jesus alone is my Savior. And I thank you for the forgiveness of sins and the free gift of salvation. And Lord, help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And listen, church, if you, uh, if you pray something like that and you mean it, you place your faith in Jesus because it's about, it's about belief. It's not even about a prayer. It's more about belief than anything else. But if you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. And so if you decide to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time this morning, or you'd like to know a little bit more about what that looks like, I want to encourage you to let us know. Let us know. 
If I just mark it on your connect slip and place it in the basket on the way out, that's kind of like the, the, the passive way of letting us know. We'll be in touch with you uh, just to kind of help you in your journey. If you want to come talk with me or one of the other pastors after church, you can do that as well. We can kind of help guide you in making a decision for Christ. Or maybe, maybe you prayed right now in your pew and you, and you say, hey, man, this is my day. I'm going to believe in Jesus for the first time. That's awesome. Let somebody know about it. Come forward. There's some packets of information right here that can just kind of help jumpstart your faith a little bit. But friend, don't leave here without, without telling somebody, letting somebody know about the decision that you made because it's an exciting one. It's, it's not only changed your earthly life, but it's changed the destination of your eternal life forever. And that's worth praising God for. We want to help you grow in that new relationship. And so with that being said, I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward. We're going to close by singing a song. We decided that for the whole month of December, we're just going to close with like a simple Christmas hymn of the faith. And this morning, we're going to close with singing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll sing. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the great anticipations of Isaiah, who some 2,700 years ago, something like that, God looked towards your first arrival and your second arrival. 700 years later, you came. You fulfilled your purposes, Lord. You, you were born of a virgin. You lived a perfect life. You died on the cross, and then you were raised from the dead. And so now, Lord, as we look back on, on what you've done, in, in great celebration, we anticipate your second coming. Lord Jesus, this world needs you now more than ever. We are living in darkness and evil and sin and corruption all over the place, from the top to the bottom. Every country, every town, every city on planet Earth needs a fresh infusion of Jesus. And so, Lord God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move like we've never seen your Holy Spirit move before. Begin with us, God. Wake us up. Help us to get out there and do the work that you ask us to do. And Father God, we pray that we would see many in our world come back to faith and be drawn to you. Lord Jesus, we look forward to your second coming. In the meantime, help us to be faithful. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.